0: Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.
1: It's no wonder human beings tend to take stock of their lives when a new year arrives, right? Like caught up in the hustle and bustle of days and weeks and months, uh, everything can just spin past us so very quickly, causing so many of us to ask, well, where did the time go? Where did the years go? Where did my life go? Perhaps we're feeling a little bit more existential, like, what am I doing with my life? Or, who exactly am I? Like, what am I in this world? And of course, there's this thing called a calendar, which reminds us every day that time is passing. And yet, every 12 months, we humans acknowledge the idea of a new year. And of course, uh, today is nothing drastically different than yesterday. On the one hand, a new year is nothing more than a mental exercise that acknowledges a larger number. That's one way to look at it. And yet on the other hand, this larger number gestures toward the human understanding that life is actually passing by. That our brief and precious lives are passing by. And that this existence is something for us as humans to cherish with all of our hearts. And so the great transcendentalist Henry David Thoreau famously wrote, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live that was not life. Living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live so sturdily and Spartan like as to put to rout all that was not life, to cut a broad swath and shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. Isn't that beautiful? To be clear, I'm not suggesting that we abandon our jobs and our families and our friends by going into the woods for a year to work a garden and to write all of our existential thoughts about what it means. But I am suggesting on this newest of years that we pause to consider the human desire to live our lives to their fullest, which is also a wonderfully divine invitation to live our lives to the fullest. Now, when we consider living our lives as fully as possible, speaking from a Christian mindset, we find ourselves in the land of an ancient idea called repentance. Now, when I think of repentance, I think of a person standing in Pioneer Square, right, with a sandwich board, and there's flames on both sides, and it's very creative, orange, black, red, you know, it's just really flame-like. And then there are these words etched in bright white letters, turn or burn. Yeah? Everybody know what I'm talking about? that's just what I think of when I think of the word repentance. And although I would have never on my own put a sandwich board together and put it on my shoulders and gone down to Pioneer Square as a child and, and shouted out those words, this picture once depicted my understanding of what repentance was. For me, growing up, repentance was primarily a matter of heaven or hell, right? Repent, turn to the Lord, and live eternally. Stay hard-hearted and don't repent. Live as you are and die. As a child, I remember feeling this so strongly that it would cause me great agony. I remember having my neighbor Adam from across the street uh, stay the night at my house. I was about 10 years old, and Adam didn't go to church And Adam told dirty jokes. And I told dirty jokes, but I went to church. So Adam needed my help, right? Adam very much needed my help. And so as my parents taught me, if Adam were to die, Adam was in big trouble. Adam needed to repent so that Adam could go one day to heaven. Late into the night, we talked and we goofed around and we told dirty jokes. But in the back of my head, I just just knew, right? In the bottom of my heart, I needed to tell Adam that he needed to repent. And so just before we fell off to sleep, I gathered up all of my courage and in my passionate 10-year-old evangelist heart, I said something very much like this as fast as I could. Adam, Jesus died for your sins and you should repent because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. And in that moment, I felt a burden lifted. I think Adam just looked at me. <laughs> what does that even mean? But I'd said it and it was done. <sighs> but you know what came right after that, that lifting of guilt? terrible shame i just felt awful the next day i told my mom what i'd done she smiled big and gave me a hug but it didn't change the way i felt and adam didn't repent good news felt bad to me and i was left to wonder am i just a terrible evangelist is there something wrong with my heart to allow fear and embarrassment to keep me from telling someone that they needed to repent and is this really what it means to follow jesus and to love people because if so, I'm in for a lifetime, a lifetime of anguish. And I've experienced this anguish in many others. Others who are wanting to be faithful to God, but struggle over forcing a conversation, or manipulating a relationship, or saying something that just feels bad, maybe even wrong. And instead of just living from that place, instead of just assuming that we are the problem, or that our hearts Are the problem. I'd love to explore an audacious idea, which is what if our understanding of repentance is just wrong? What if that anguish that we feel over the things that we think we're supposed to say to others is actually divine anguish? What if repentance is something else, something more, something better, something worth talking about and giving ourselves to? What if repentance is part of what could be rightfully called good news? And so let's begin with this. Let's throw out the sandwich board. Amen? Amen. Let's throw away the flames and fire and let's try and let go of the shame and guilt and embarrassment that is all associated with this Christian concept of repentance. And with fresh eyes and open hearts, let's consider this concept anew. Maybe, just maybe in doing so, we can reimagine the rich and profound meaning of repentance for ourselves and for our beautiful friends and for this precious world. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the word for repentance literally means to return. And so let's start there, to return. Return. In my mind, this one word undoes many of our notions about repentance. You see, repentance is more than turning away from something, and it's more than stopping something. Repentance is better than putting an end to a certain behavior or sin. Repentance is something greater than morality management. Now, repentance may include turning away from something, but at its core, the essence of repentance is to return. And so, if repentance does involve turning away from something, it's turning away from something that is less, somehow less, than our best self. Here's the classic definition for repentance from what's called halot, H-A-L-O-T, which is the preeminent Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon for the Hebrew scriptures. Halot defines the Hebrew word for for repentance as follows. A word which is used of someone who has shifted direction in a particular way and then shifted back from it in the opposite way. As long as there's no contrary factor, the assumption is that such persons or people will return and reach the original place from which they departed. I'll read that last section one more time. The assumption is that such persons or people will return and reach the original point from which they departed. With this in mind, the fundamental question that repentance must ask isn't, what am I supposed to turn away from, but rather, to where am I to return? Where am I to return? Because repentance isn't about leaving something as much as it is going back to something. And what is that? What is the thing that we're to turn back toward? Well, the biblical answer is home. We're to return home. Let me explain. The contextual narrative for repentance in the Hebrew scriptures is Israel's return from exile in Babylon. For a moment, let's remember the story. God saves Jacob's children from bondage in Egypt. In the wilderness, they make a covenant with God to be a different kind of people in the world, to be a light on a hill in the world, to be a kingdom of priests that mediate God's goodness in the world. And then this covenant, people enter into the land. The land is both metaphorical and literal. The land is a literal place that exists in the world, but the land is also a metaphor throughout the Bible. The land, Jerusalem, Zion, the eventually built temple, all of these places are symbols of God's very presence. And so in the books Judges and Kings, when Israel loses its way, when Israel loses itself, when Israel loses its identity when Israel loses its meaning in the world, we're told that they are in captivity in Babylon. In captivity in Babylon. So maybe that's one way to think of it. Like when we lose ourselves, the the selves that we know that we are deep down inside of us, those, those passions and those desires and the goodness that is down below the embodied trauma, when we lose all of that, maybe helpful language could be, I'm feeling like a captive. An alien, a captive in Babylon. The Israelites are absolutely certain in captivity that they have lost God. Now, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul states that God is the one in whom we move and breathe and have our being. There's no living without being in God. And so we can't actually lose God. And yet, perhaps losing ourselves losing who it is that we believe we're supposed to be in the world, perhaps that feels like we've lost God. At the very least, it'd be right to say that we've wandered far from home. And suddenly, very suddenly, nothing feels quite right, does it? We've all lost ourselves. We all know what that feels like. It's as though having wandered far from home that suddenly everything feels different Language feels different. Values feel different. Ways of being and seeing all feel different. So much so that we can sometimes feel deep down inside of ourselves that we are lost. And what happens when we're lost? Well, according to the biblical story, God moves the king of Persia to let Israel return. And even better, God promises to go with the Israelites on their journey through the wilderness all the way back home. With this story in mind, repentance is a journey of return home. That's what repentance is. It departs from the lost places that we find ourselves. It goes through the wilderness, always the wilderness, until ultimately we arrive home in a land called promise. And according to this story, we're not alone on this journey because the Lord isn't just the one who moves us to return. The Lord in this story is also the one who is with us throughout the entire journey home. Fast forward to the Gospels, the oldest Gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 1 reads, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Why? Why John the Baptist? Why prepare a way? Why make paths straight? straight. Well, chapter 1, verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now again, we need to take our old conception of repentance and, and set it aside because we kind of picture Jesus with the sandwich board on, right? But, but throw that out and think in this new way, this, this biblical motif of Israel returning home. Jesus is saying it's time to make the paths straight. It's time to move ourselves toward home. It's time to return. It's time to leave life behind in Babylon, life in Rome in order to return. And this return is made possible by the Lord who is always with us in our journey. And so for a moment, let's replace the word repentance with the word return. For me, that sits better, doesn't it? Like it's not become something that you're not or something that you're never supposed to be. No, it's, it's return to the very person that you have been knit together to be. You probably were that child before the trauma all started to affect your life. You know that 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 brave, courageous, interested, curious, wondering, growing thing that you were when you were so little, let's go back to that place. That's a good place. You see, it's easy to lose yourself in the world. It's easy to forget that you were knit together by the divine, created for beauty and made to love. And there are moments when each of us realize that we've lost our deepest, truest self. And we could easily use biblical language. We could rightly say something like, I have become an alien in Babylon. Oh, what am I to do? Answer, return. Every person has the possibility of return. Begin a journey of return, a journey that the Lord is stirring inside of you right now, which will take you through the wilderness of transformation back to your true home, your true home. You see, the beauty of return is that you are not leaving yourself to become something else, something other, something that somebody told you that you must become, which actually often feels more like disintegration, doesn't it? No, you are returning, which means that you're going back to your very self, that dazzling, creative, vibrant, loving image of God deep inside of your bones. What has Babylon taught you to believe about yourself over the last years? What values have you off balance? What is it about your life that's causing you or others harm? If you were to sit and just pencil out the ways I feel lost, what would you write down? The invitation is to return. Begin a journey of return, a journey that the Spirit of God stirs up inside of us and joins us in as we depart toward home. And here's one more thought on repentance. In the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Uh, The Greek roots for this word combine to mean go beyond the mind that you have or put simply, change your mind. I love this idea of repentance. Change your mind. You see, the difficulty with this way of repentance is that as we grow, we become more and more set in what we think. Often I think we're taught that adults know what to think. Adults, part of being an adult is being certain about how you're supposed to live and what life is all about. More adult, less child, right? And so we grow, we age, we mature, which often means less openness, less mystery, less wonder, less hunger and thirst for learning and growing. Fewer questions and more, always more and more answers. But you see, the spirit of repentance requires openness to new ways of seeing and thinking. It necessitates humility. Like, like, there's so much more for me to learn. There's so much more for me to become. It insists on an unending journey of growth and transformation. That's what it insists on. Jen and I have now been married a little bit over uh, 25 years. And I remember when we were first married and we had bumps, you know, bumps. And I remember thinking, I can't wait till we get through these bumps and our relationship is just easy, you know? And then, and then I remember thinking like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know Jen so well and she's going to get to know me so well, like like we won't even have to talk. Like like she'll just feel something and I will feel it, you know? I'll give her the nod and she'll know exactly what I'm thinking. And, and you play that out to its very end and it's like, We could be so united that we don't even have to be in relationship anymore. (laughs) I mean, that's where it goes, right? Where I'm going is, well, if you don't have to work, if you don't have to learn, if you don't have to change, if there aren't new things for us to think about and become, well, then there's not really life. Life lived. Life lived in relationship. You see, to change, to see something different, to learn, to grow, to be stretched, to break open, to spill out, to be filled up, this is what it means to be human. To repent is to truly live. To repent is to participate in ongoing transformation. To use other biblical imagery, it is to die and rise, to die and rise, to die and rise is the way of human transformation. And so perhaps this morning you feel like you're dying. That's okay. Because the Christian story holds out hope that on the other side of that death is something new. Something alive and vibrant and good. Repentance is to have our minds blown over and over again. Repentance makes us declare, I didn't know that. I didn't think that was possible. It's like I'm seeing it all for the first time. Everything was in black and white, but now I see in color. Because repentance isn't only about return, it's also about new insight. Repentance is about evolving and growing. Repentance is about new ways of seeing and thinking. Repentance is about more and more and more life. Which makes me want to ask, why would we ever stop repenting? Why would we ever stop? Repentance is a courageous journey home. Repentance is a mindset open to change. Repentance is a journey that God instigates again and again and again because the divine is always making things new, even our very selves. If I could go back 30 years to my nighttime conversation with Adam, I would go about it so differently. And perhaps as you look back over your last year, there are things that you've said or things that you've done or things that you've been or things that you've become that you'd like to undo or do differently or do better. And and do you know what that desire reveals about you? It reveals that you're repenting. That's what it reveals, that you're changing, that you're growing, that you're open to becoming. And so on this New Year's Day, please, please let us all let go of shame and guilt for not being what we think we should be, We can only be who we are and where we are. And everything that has happened in our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, has all contributed to our life path that has brought us to this very place. And so we hold it all, right? Humbly, maybe with a little bit of holiness, a holy hush over the path that has been our life because this is who we are. And this is a good place to be not because we're stuck, not because we're stagnant, but because we live with a divine hope inside of ourselves that we can continue to become all that we've been knit together to be. Inviting our deepest, truest selves to repent, to return, to have our minds changed, all the while the divine whispers into our hearts, I'm with you. I'm with you on this path of transformation. I'm with you in all of your hopes for yourself, and for your loved ones, and for this world. I'm with you all the way home to the best you that you can possibly be. May it be so, and let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for stirring our hearts. Thank you for this hallmark calendar uh, that reminds us that there's a new year that our lives can be new, that our ways of being can be made new, that our minds can be changed, that our eyes can be open, that our relationships can be renewed. Thank you for the gift that it is to change, to learn, to grow, and even ponder what it is that you've knit us to be in our deepest selves.